Ramon Arias won the Gold Glove Award at third base in the American League. And Taryn Vavra showed incredible control of the strike zone in his first big league season. But did either guy do enough to win the starting second base job for the Orioles heading into 2023? We'll try to answer that question coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we continue our Orioles 2022 player season review series. We're going to talk about two infielders who made an impact on the Orioles this year, Ramon Arias and Taryn Vavra. Talk about Arias' gold glove defense, his up and down status with the bat, what he could be for the O's next year. Is he a trade chip potentially? And Taryn Vavra, who was finally called up in late July and played sparingly down the stretch, but definitely showed some things when he was on the field. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're staying daily here throughout the month of November, even when the World Series ends later this week. We are still going to have Monday through Friday, new episodes every day wherever you listen. And, of course, here on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. Leave a comment on the videos of course, uh, get in on the discussion how you think Arias and Vavra will be used on the 2023 Orioles. But again, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with Ramon Arias. Obviously had the bigger impact of the two players on the 2022 Orioles because frankly, he just played a whole lot more. Now, what we saw from the 28-year-old Arias was... An up-and-down season, an interesting season, but a season that did end with some hardware. As we found out on Tuesday evening that Ramon Arias won the American League Gold Glove Award at third base for the 2022 season. Brooks Robinson, of course, 16 gold gloves at third base for the Orioles. Manny Machado won two gold gloves at third base for the Orioles. And now Ramon Arias has his first gold glove at third base for the Orioles. It was kind of a surprising win. You know, with Jorge Mateo not being a finalist at shortstop, I was a little surprised Arias was a finalist at third base. But when you go into the advanced numbers, he was the best defensive third baseman in the American League this year. At third base this season, 14 defensive runs saved, led all third basemen, seven outs above average at that position. And we played almost 800 innings at third, threw in about 150 innings at second, 40 innings at shortstop as well defensively for the Orioles. But third was his position, basically, until Gunnar Henderson got called up in September. Then Arias played some more second base uh, down the stretch for the Orioles. But he was elite at third base. He picked everything over there. He had the strong arm to throw it across the diamond and start the double play from third as well. He turned the double play as well also when he was playing second base. But it was basically the ability to just scoop everything over there at third. And when it was Arias and Mateo over there... You could argue when the Orioles started Arias at third and Mateo at shortstop, they had the best defensive left side of the infield in all of Major League Baseball. That is not too crazy to say at all. That's how good Arias was this year, and he was rewarded with a Gold Glove Award, which 
a lot of the times doesn't reward the best defender at the position, but I think they did here with Ramon Arias. But we'll try to look at you know what that means for him moving forward with the Orioles. Because again, he's 28. He'll be 29 in the middle of the season next year. Of course, the Orioles got him on a waiver claim from the St. Louis Cardinals before the 2020 season. And if you remember back then, to 2020, you know, Arias played right at the end of the 60-game season. I think he was up for like the last two weeks of the year and played kind of sparingly for the Orioles. He was at the alternate site the entire year. And meanwhile, we had to watch the likes of Andrew Velasquez and Pat Valeka get a lot of at-bats in the Oriole infield that year, and, and frankly, Rio Ruiz as well. And then you looked at what Arias did right when he came up and what he did as a whole in 2021, and I was so confused as to why we didn't see more Arias in 2020. And we saw more of him in 2021. Of course, he had his ups and downs last season, but he was certainly a valuable rookie for the Orioles in the 2021 season. He helped that team out. I mean, at the plate, he had a 115 WRC plus and about 300 plate appearances. Didn't really hit for power, but had a 279 average and, you know, played a good defensive second base and shortstop and third base when he was there. And we were thinking, you know, maybe some big things for Arias heading into 2022. But his month of April was an absolute disaster this season. He came in with some high hopes. We thought, all right, you know, Arias has locked down a starting spot in the Orioles infield to begin the season. What can he do to build off of 2021? And he was one of the worst hitters in baseball in April. There's no way around it. Ramon Arias in the month of April was, I mean, he was almost unplayable at times. He hit just 194 in the month. He had just two extra base hits, 17 strikeouts to just four walks in the 18 games that he played in. I mean, he had a 32 WRC plus in April. And we looked at him and thought that might be it, you know, but it wasn't. And he turned it around and put together three really good months after that. A 120 WRC plus in May, a 111 WRC plus in June, and then he had his big month. Ramona Rios had a 170 WRC plus in the month of July. That means he was 70% better than the league average hitter in July. He just, he put things together in July for the Orioles. That's when it all came together for him. I mean, he hit 329 in the month. He had five home runs. That was his biggest power month of any. He drove in 18 runs. He only struck out 11 times in 22 games. He just put the ball in play. He hit it hard, and he became a very productive hitter for the Orioles in July. Now, he tailed off. He had a tough August, but he did finish with a 120 WRC plus September and October. So Arias did finish the season strong as well. Had a really high walk rate, over 12% in the last month of the year. That was by far his best of the season. So you like to see a guy finish strong as well. And he was pretty even across each half of the season. I mean, his first half was slightly better than his second half, but generally they were fairly even across the board. And, you know, he... He was a reverse splits guy this year, you know, a 111 WRC plus hitting 259 against righties. Hit just 222 with an 87 WRC plus against lefties despite being a right-handed hitter. He was just another guy who struggled against lefties in that Orioles lineup this year. But the big thing about Arias, which is what we talked about this year, and it's something I harped on time and time again, I must have talked about it 10 different times on the podcast in July when Arias was having that insane month. 
when he hits the ball in the air, he's one of the Orioles' best hitters. But he just doesn't do it enough. And the stats on Arias, it's crazy how much it correlates between his fly ball percentage and his batting stats overall. On ground balls this year, Ramon Arias had a 66 WRC+, plus, which is pretty normal. Most guys don't have great hitting stats when they hit the ball on the ground. There's not a lot of money on the ground. You're not going to hit home runs. You're not going to hit extra base hits on the ground. Most ground balls, the best thing they turn into is a single. On fly balls, though, this is where he differs. A 162 WRC plus on fly balls this year versus 66 on the ground. That's, you know, normal players have a better split in the air, but that's kind of a crazy split compared to other guys. And here's how you look at it. So I mentioned July, you know, his best month by far. He had a 44% fly ball rate in July, which means 44% of the balls that he put in play were hit in the air, considered fly balls. That was by far his highest fly ball percentage. I don't think any other month crossed 38%. And that was his best offensive month. And the crazy part about it is for Arias, he actually wasn't even hitting the ball as hard as he usually does. It's something we'll get to. He's one of the hardest hitting Orioles on the team, but it was kind of middle of the road for months this year in terms of his hard hit percentage in July. But because he hit the ball in the air way more than he did any other time in the season, he hit homers, he hit five homers in the month, and he ended up with a 170 WRC+. It's crazy how it works. Now, look at April when he hit you know below 180, when he had the 32 WRC+. You look at what he did that month. He had a 24% ground ball rate in the month of April. He hit everything on the ground in April. Excuse me, he had a 24% fly ball rate, I should say. Almost half of what his fly ball rate was in July. And what does that mean? He's not hitting the ball in the air. He had the worst month of his major league career. And here's the craziest part about that month of April for Arias, when he basically, he was unplayable at times in April. He had a 38% hard hit rate in April. That means 38% of the balls that he hit came off the bat at 95 miles per hour or more. That's a hard hit ball. That's a ball that generally lands as a base hit. 38% was his best month of the year in terms of hard hit. But because he hit everything on the ground in the month of April, didn't hit anything in the air, he ended up with one of the worst months of his life at the plate. I don't think there's any other guy in baseball that has this direct of a translation and a correlation between hitting the ball in the air and having success because he hits the ball hard. Ramon Arias this season had a 46.5 hard hit percentage, 46.5%. That was 42nd best in all of baseball. That led the Baltimore Orioles. He was just above Ryan Mountcastle and Anthony Santander in that stat. Best on the Orioles. 42nd in baseball. That's pretty high when you think about how many hitters are in Major League Baseball. Here's some guys who are right around his hard hit percentage. O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates. He smokes the ball. JT Realmuto. He's been pretty good in these playoffs. Paul Goldschmidt had an MVP caliber season. And oh yeah, Juan Soto, you might have heard of him. Those were all guys who had very similar hard hit rates to Ramon Arias this year. 
He's got the traits to be a really good MLB hitter, but when he beats the ball into the ground time and time again, he's just not giving himself space for success. And when he hits the ball in the air like he did in the month of July, it turns into homers, it turns into extra base hits, and it turns into these great months where he looks like maybe not a middle-of-the-order bat, but a guy, if you're hitting sixth, you feel really good about your lineup. That's what he looked like in the month of July. And we saw it at times in 2021 as well, but we really saw it up close and personal in that month. And he got better overall, hitting the ball in the air. Don't get me wrong. He improved overall this season. His launch angle on average in 2021 was 5.2 degrees. That's not good at all. His launch angle this year was 11 degrees. He more than doubled his launch angle. Now, 11 degrees is still not anything great at all, and it still needs a lot of work. But the fact that he doubled his average launch angle from last year to this year shows me that at the very least, he knows this is his issue. He knows if he hits it on the ground, he's bad, and when he hits it in the air, he's good. And so, I don't think he's going to double it again, but if he can maybe up it by three, four, five more degrees next year, now we're really cooking. So that's why despite, you know, just this weird kind of flex tweener spot he's in as the Orioles roster continues to develop and get better this offseason, that's why I'm not sold on just getting rid of Ramon Arias. I still think he has a ceiling at the plate, and we literally just saw him win the gold glove at third base. He is a great defender that's going to help your team. And, you know, he's not even arbitration eligible yet. You don't even have to think about that until next offseason. He's not a free agent until after 2026. So the O's can do a lot with Ramon Arias right now. But you look at all these stats, and, you know, there's not really a pitch, whether it's breaking balls or fastballs or changeups that really get him. He's, he's kind of even across the board against all these pitches. But you look at all these stats, and you still think, if the Orioles add to this team... Where are they going to play Arias? Because you are 100% obviously putting Ryan Mountcastle at first base. And whether it's shortstop or third base, Gunnar Henderson will be in your infield, in your lineup, all season next year. Then you've got Arias. You've got Fiverr, who we'll talk about. You've got Jorge Mateo. And then you've got Jordan Westberg. Maybe Joey Ortiz knocking on the door. And even if the Orioles don't sign one of the big name, you know, Carlos Correa or Trey Turner type shortstops, At the very least, they're going to bring in a free agent infielder. Even if they don't get one of the big names, you know, I've mentioned Jace Peterson a couple of times, but someone like him who's kind of a utility guy who has a better bat, more major league experience, they're going to sign at least one of those guys to help the infield. So the question is, where does Urias fit in? Because he is versatile in the infield. He plays a good third, he plays a good short, he plays a good second. That's big. But he's not very fast, so if he's on your bench, he's never really going to be a pinch runner. Yeah, he could pinch hit at times. You like his bat, but he also doesn't have the versatility to play the outfield. That's something Jorge Mateo has. That is something Taron Vavra has, which we'll talk about in a bit, that Urias certainly does not have. And he's a little older. You know, he's going to be 29 next year, which is still in the prime, but he's older than every other guy we're talking about there. So where does he fit? Is he a starter? Does he start at third base with Gunner at shortstop? Does he start at second base with Gunner at third and Mateo at shortstop? Does he start at second with, you know, a free agent signing at shortstop, Gunner at third and Mateo on the bench? They're all possibilities. Does he get traded this offseason? 
you know, could that be the answer for the Orioles? You know, they're going after starting pitching, maybe not an ace, but, you know, more of a mid-rotation guy in a trade, and they trade away a couple prospects, but the team they're trading with, you know, say it's the Marlins or something, feel like they need a major league caliber hitter ready to insert, you know, fifth or sixth in their lineup to complete the trade. Ramon Arias could be that guy, not because the Orioles don't like him or because he's not good, but because even though he has all these strengths we just talked about, he could get squeezed out a little bit. And that's what makes this offseason more interesting for Ramon Arias than maybe any other player on the current Orioles roster. He hasn't done anything to make me think, oh, he's going to be DFA'd. But he hasn't done enough where I'm saying pencil him into the starting lineup on opening day next year. He's right in the middle. But he doesn't bring you know the, the speed and the defense and electricity that maybe Jorge Mateo brings that makes you think, Jorge Mateo, even if he gets moved to a bench role, he can be valuable for the Orioles. I don't know if Ramon Arias is valuable if he's in kind of a utility infielder slash bench role on the 2023 Orioles. Not nearly as valuable off the bench as Mateo would be if that kind of comes the conversation. It's between those two for a bench spot. I'd take Mateo just because he fits there better and helps the team off the bench more. So they're going to be in a really interesting spot. And if they don't add the big name infielder, then hey, Ramon Arias is going to be back in some role. But if the Orioles do add the big free agent infielder, they're going to have a really interesting decision on their hands with Ramon Arias. I think he's going to be back in 2023. Now, I think he could be traded, but I do think at the end he's back because of these traits and he still has you know another spot to break through offensively. But it's going to be such an interesting offseason. But there's another guy who should have an interesting offseason, maybe a little less interesting, who obviously has less MLB time as well. And that's Taron Vavra, who... We didn't get to see a lot of this year, but we saw enough to make me and and make Orioles fans intrigued at what he could be moving forward. So coming up next, we'll talk about Vavra, his 2022 season, and where he fits in with the Orioles in 2023 and beyond. But first, got to tell you about Roan, because the dress shirt, it was due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. Their comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to your work or 18 holes of golf. And you can feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. They've got wrinkle-release technology, and it's got gold fusion anti-odor technology. So you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long and the Roan shirt's 100% machine washable. You can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. So this commuter shirt, it can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on to save 20% off your entire order. Again, that's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash locked on and use code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. So we just chatted about Ramon Arias and his up and down season for the Orioles and where he could fit in with the O's in 2023. But another guy that has question marks around him where he could fit in is Taryn Vavra, who we got to see some of him at the end of the year with the Orioles. Didn't get to see a lot of him, 103 plate appearances, but it was enough to make him think, could he fit in with this Orioles team moving forward? So Taryn Vavra, 25-year-old infielder slash outfielder, basically utility man, played some second base, some left field, some right field 
for the Orioles this year. He even played some shortstop and some center field, and a little third in the minors as well. He could really play everywhere. And Vavra, a guy who the Orioles acquired at the 2020 trade deadline from the Rockies, they sent Michael Givens over there. They got Favre, they got Tyler Nevin, and they got Michelle Deson in that trade. We talked about Nevin's season on yesterday's episode. Make sure to go back and check that one out, talking about Tyler Nevin and Rugnet Odor. But for Taron Favre, it was an interesting season because it started with just pure dominance at AAA. And, and he had some injury issues that have gone back, you know, a couple of years. But he got himself healthy and in 208 plate appearances over 45 games with AAA Norfolk, he showed he's just way too good for the AAA level. Vavra hit 324 for the Norfolk Tides with a 435 on base and a 451 slugging percentage. That was good for a 144 WRC+. Plus. He had a 14% walk rate to just a 17% strikeout rate, which is kind of ridiculous in today's game. Now, only two homers. He didn't really flash the power all season, but it was enough for the Orioles to bring him up. So finally, with the O's seeing you know, kind of a struggling Rugnet Odor, and you know they weren't quite sure what they were getting out of Ramon Arias. He was having a great month, but they needed to fill other holes. Gunnar Henderson wasn't up yet. You know, Jorge Mateo was struggling a bit at the plate. Tyler Nevin wasn't really doing anything. So they call up Taron Vavra on July 26th. And everyone was calling for him because he was hitting so well at AAA. But then some weird things happened for Taron Vavra. He did not play in the first three games he was on the roster. And then he finally debuts three days after he's called up on July 29th, but only as a pinch runner late in a game. So he pinch runs in a game that doesn't matter. And then finally the next day on July 30th, he gets his first MLB start. And he gets hot early. From August 1st through the 11th for Taron Vavra to start his month of August when he finally started playing, not every day, but most of the time, he goes 10 for 24 with four walks to four strikeouts, a double, and six RBIs in that stretch. Now, again, it's nine singles out of his 10 hits, but still pretty impressive. Then in that time, he goes on paternity leave. He comes back. He finishes out August, you know, playing okay, playing about every other day. And then we get to September, and things change for the Orioles. Jorge Mateo's coming off a red-hot August. They're trying to get Arias in there every day. Rugnet Odor is starting to swing it a little bit better in August. Kyle Stowers is in the big leagues. They're trying to get him in there. And, oh yeah, the Orioles on August 31st called up their top prospect, the top prospect in baseball, Gunnar Henderson, that they had to get into the lineup. So it became a little tougher to get Vavra in there. Now, many argued he still should have been in there over Rugnet Odor, which I understand. But Brandon Hyde did say, you know, he wanted Odor, the guy with the pennant race experience, to be playing in the pennant race in September. And from September 2nd through the 16th, Taron Vavra did not start a game for the Orioles. In fact, in that 15-day stretch, Vavra only appeared in five of those games and did not start any of them. He was basically completely relegated to the bench for two months in early September. But then the Orioles started to fade a little bit. And, you know, you get a quote from Brandon Hyde that basically says, hey, we're going to kind of sit Odor. We want to play the young guys. And basically what he meant is, you know, we're a little further out of it and we want to really see what Taron Vavra can do. So he puts Vavra back out there and he plays a little more down the stretch. But then Odor had to step in again because Ramona Rios got hurt. And then Odor catches fire over the last couple weeks of the season. So the O's keep playing Odor more, even though they were getting Vavra in there too with Arias injured and Mateo really struggling 
at the plate in September. But it all ended with a weird season where, yeah, he did have a 108 WRC plus in September and October, but that was when he finally played. You know, he only got 11 plate appearances all year against left-handed pitching, went two for nine against lefties. And, you know, the defense, the Orioles continued to say the reason they were playing Odor over Vavra was they didn't trust Vavra's defense at second. And I will tell you, he made some plays. He didn't make some other plays. Odor certainly was better at turning the double play than Vavra was, but Vavra could hold his own. Ended up with a negative one defensive run saved, but not in a large sample size. And it just became a really odd first season, you know, where he plays in 40 games. He gets 103 plate appearances with the Orioles. He hits one home run. He homers on the final day of the season to win game one of that doubleheader against the Blue Jays. Ends up hitting 258 with a 340 on base percentage, 337 slugging. It's a 97 WRC plus and exactly zero war. He was basically a league average player for about 100 plate appearances. That doesn't really tell you a lot about a player in their first stretch in the big leagues. But a 12% walk rate to an 18% strikeout rate does show you that, hey, you know, he's very selective. Only a 26% chase rate on the season, which is pretty elite. Did not swing at a lot of pitches outside the strike zone. And he showed us that he has control of the strike zone. And with that left-handed bat, he has an approach that goes the other way, which not a lot of Orioles in that lineup had this year. Yeah, he's a shorter guy. And, you know, defensively, even though he can play left and right field and can play a little shortstop if you need to, He's not exactly, you know, elite or close to it at any of those defensive positions. He's just kind of fine wherever he plays, which is still valuable for a utility guy in the big leagues. But you just keep wondering, you know, what kind of player is he? He hit 302 against fastballs this year, really punished them, but didn't hit the breaking stuff well. And you look at all these stats and the ups and downs and the sitting and the starting and where does he fit? Because as I talked about just a minute ago with Ramon Arias, the O's have an infield logjam coming up. I mean, Mateo's still here. Gunnar Henderson's certainly here to stay. Arias is still here. Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, knocking on the door. Vavra's in the conversation. Tyler Nevin's still going to be there, although I don't think he really factors in too, too much. And then there's going to be free agents, whether it's the big-name shortstop or a smaller-name utility guy. You're going to have all these guys vying for playing time. Now, it's going to really help Vafra that he can play the outfield. He becomes a more valuable utility guy on the bench for that. And I think that could win him a bench spot on the opening day roster. He's got more versatility than Ramon Arias because of that. Now, he's not as good a defender, but he's got more versatility, which certainly helps. But what do you do with Tarek Vafra? Because if the O's do sign the free agent or just sign another infielder to help the team... You really don't want Vavra in AAA. I mean, he showed you this year. He's way too good for AAA Norfolk. You'd love to keep him around. But what do you do with him? I mean, I think the O's are going to hold on to him, obviously. It was, his, you know, 100 plate appearances in the big leagues. He's going to be with the Orioles next year. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, can they squeeze Vavra onto the opening day roster? It might be tough. And he showed he deserves a shot. And we'll see what he does in spring training in Sarasota next year. But he's got a really interesting case. Maybe not as interesting as Ramon Arias, but an interesting case nonetheless for trying to make this Orioles roster going into next season. I like his approach. I said it when he got called up. The O's don't have another guy in the lineup with that approach. I'd like to see him on the team because of the versatility and the bat. But there's a chance he gets squeezed out because the Orioles bring in better players, and I think that's okay too, or maybe better prospects get called up. But I think for now, there's something about watching. I just I would like to see him 
on this opening day roster because I think he can help you because of the balance he can bring to a lineup. But of course, what he didn't do that Ramona Reyes did do this year is win a gold glove. But the Orioles had one more gold glove finalist, and that is Cedric Mullins. And coming up next to finish out the episode, we'll talk about Cedric Mullins, his gold glove chase, and some talks swirling about Mullins this week. So to finish up here, a little bit of chatter on Cedric Mullins here. Even though Ramon Arias did win the Gold Glove at third base, and we congratulate him, the Orioles did have another finalist in the American League at the Gold Glove Awards, and that was Cedric Mullins, who was a finalist for the center field Gold Glove. Now, unfortunately, he did not win. Miles Straw of the Cleveland Guardians won the award, but Straw deserved it. He is an absolutely elite center fielder. The eye test, the numbers all back it up. Miles Straw was the slam dunk pick for that award. So just cool that Mullins was named a finalist. And he, again, he did have a great defensive season in center field. He covered so much range and he really, even though his arm was only really average at best, it was very below average last year. And he really improved that throwing arm this season as well. So good for Mullins just to be a finalist, but there was some more Mullins talk kind of on Twitter this week, uh, an account that has reported some news in the past has also been wrong a lot in the past about MLB news reported that the Orioles are, you know, listening to offers on Cedric Mullins. This is something we've heard about Mullins for over a year now, since he had the breakout 30-30 season in 2021. We heard all the rumors last offseason that the Orioles are listening on Cedric Mullins. First of all, let's make it clear. Listening on offers is different than actively shopping a player. Mike Elias is probably listening to offers on every player not named Adley Rutschman or Gunnar Henderson right now, because if another GM calls up Mike Elias and says, hey, Here's what I would offer for Cedric Mullins. Michael Elias isn't just going to hang up the phone and go about his day. He's not going to sever that relationship with another GM. He's going to hear them out and maybe chat about it a bit or say, you know what, that's not enough for Mullins and, you know, we'll chat later about something else. But he's going to listen to the offers. That doesn't mean he's actively shopping Cedric Mullins. If the Orioles really wanted to trade Cedric Mullins... They would have traded him last offseason and shopped him harder last offseason when he was coming off a 30-30 year, an all-star incredible season, when the Orioles and their internal people probably knew that was going to be the best season of Mullins' Major League career. Now, you could say this year was a down year. It was really more of just a solid year that, when compared to an amazing 2021, kind of looked like a down year. But I think a little bit better than what we saw this year is what we're generally going to get year to year from Cedric Mullins. And I'll take that, a three to four war, you know, elite defensive center fielder who can hit for a little bit of power, hits for average, and steals 30 plus bases. I want that on my team every single day starting in center field. The Orioles aren't going to trade Cedric Mullins for prospects. Would they trade Cedric Mullins in a deal that got them a frontline starting pitcher? Maybe. And it would be tough to swallow, but if it's the right move, it's the right move, and I'd be okay with it if it really got the Orioles kind of close to an ace in their rotation. But again, if the O's were really shopping Mullins around, they would have traded him last offseason for high value. I just don't see them trading him now. So again, I've been wrong before, and it could happen, but I really don't see them dealing Cedric Mullins this offseason. So you can rest a little bit if you did see those rumors earlier this week. But that'll do it for today's episode. We thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow to continue the player review series for the Orioles. We're getting closer and closer to the offseason. We're continuing to talk about the 2022 season before we break into offseason mode here on the podcast. But again, we continue the reviews on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
your team every day.